All right, my friends, welcome back to the Rise Up Live Free podcast, where you are joining me on a very special series of podcasts where we were, where I am taking you behind the scenes, behind closed doors, to a live workshop that we did for our audience just a couple of weeks ago on the six steps that you need to take and understand, first and foremost, to literally thrive in the age of inflation. Today, my friends, this is when the conversation gets real. So today, we're going to be talking to you about what money actually is. And my friends, this was the hardest one for me to understand once I got into the game of becoming financially free. Everything I thought I knew about money wasn't true. It wasn't serving me. And my invitation for you as you step into this conversation is put your preconceived notions and beliefs around what money is up on a shelf. Put them on a shelf for just a moment because look, the reality of it is your belief, really your beliefs around anything, especially money, govern the way you think, the way you act, and ultimately what you see as a possibility for your life. And if you are not having the money results that you want, it means it's a belief that sits at the core of that lack of results. So take your beliefs for just a moment for the, for the next half hour of this podcast episode and put those beliefs up on a shelf. At the end of this podcast episode, you can pick those beliefs right back up and continue on with your life as usual, or or maybe, just maybe, you will walk away from this podcast with a radically new belief around what money is and ultimately what is possible with this new belief. So my friends, sit back, relax, and enjoy the topic of conversation today. This one happens to be my favorite, and this one happens to be the hardest for every almost every single person to understand, okay? It is debt is the new money. Now, I know we have a lot of different people from all different part walks of life, but when I first understood the math, and then this was the second rule that I had to look at, that debt was money, this took me years to get over. This took me so long to rewire my brain because every time I hear the word debt, who kind of cringes, who kind of like backs away into a corner and says, debt is bad. So Brad, how on earth, if debt is the new money, how does this work in our favor? Well, where we've started with the conversation, guys, is, is this idea, right? When we're saying money or wealth or what things are we were not using tight enough language and we're using monies that we don't or we're using words that we don't really know what they mean okay so hopefully to this point we've updated and helped get ourselves clear on that okay and like ryan like you pointed out we've updated we've understood that money is actually it starts out as debt okay it's borrowed into existence okay so if that's the case, are my slides advancing? Yep, they are. Sweet. So if that's the case, how do we use them to invest? Okay. So we're going to play a clip that I don't think when the person interviewing Warren Buffett interviewed him, I don't think they even understood the words that were coming out of his mouth. Most people watching had no container for what he just said, but he let out one of the greatest secrets to not just protecting ourselves from inflation, but thriving in it. And then we're going to take the rest of the secret and we're going to break down what Warren Buffett said. So hang on for a second and I'm going to, Warren Buffett's going to teach us. So let me hit play on this. What about now? People can get a mortgage for three and a half, four percent. Oh, if you get a 30 year mortgage, it's the best instrument in the world because if you're wrong and rates go to 2%, which I don't think they will, but they, uh, you pay it off. I mean, it, it's a one-way renegotiation. I mean, it is it is an incredibly attractive instrument for the homeowner. And uh, you've got a one-way bet. Berkshire can't do that. We cannot issue a 30-year bond and have it so we can call it off tomorrow at par. Uh, no, no way. And yet, you as an individual can do it. It's, it's, a, it's a great instrument. Okay. So what about now? So it's... 
Do you hear? She said it's a great, it's incredible. Okay. But Ryan, like you said, this breaks most people's brain because they think when they hear the word debt or mortgage or financing or any of that, their brain goes to the bad debt side of this table. Okay. And bad debt, the way we define it is using other people's money to buy things you cannot afford. And then you make the payments from your income. Anytime that's the equation, we're going to agree with Dave Ramsey and say, that's a bad idea. Let's not do that. Okay. So we're using someone else's money to buy something that I can't pay for today. And then I'm going to pay for it out of my future income. Now we're bringing Jimmy's graph back. You guys remember this one? What this does is we're bringing future consumption into the present, which means we're setting our individual economy up for a time where we have to contract. contract. That's why it's bad, right? As an individual. What we're talking about and what Warren Buffett was talking about is if we can use other people's money to buy assets that other people pay back for me, that seems like a really good idea, right? I'm going to use someone else's money, but I get the asset, but I'm not on the hook to pay it back. That seems like what, what could, this is what we say when we're talking about good debt. And this is what Warren Buffett was actually talking about. So now a lot of people are like, neat, Brad, but how do I get this good debt that you talk about? Like, where does this, what tree does this grow on that I can go pick it up from? Well, if you walk into a bank and just say, give me some of that money, they're just gonna laugh in your face. You, you can't just walk into a bank and ask for this, okay? There is a process to it. And this, guys, if I could teach something in college or in high school about money, it would be these types of concepts. Because what most people don't understand is if you have a house, if you've got this house, step one is you have a house that cash flows. If you have that under contract, you don't have to have the money to buy it. What you do is you take your proof of income, whether it's a W-2 or a tax return, if you're a business owner, both of those will work. We bring that proof of income. And then step three, we tell the bank who is gonna pay the mortgage for us. Meaning we have a tenant in, in, the, in the property paying for it. If we have those three pieces, we can repeat this an infinite amount of time. Guys, I want you to understand that. That is literally an infinite number of times. There is no cap to the amount of money a bank will give you if you have a property, an income source, and a tenant or somebody else paying for it. Ryan, how many mortgages do you have? Lots. Jimmy, how many mortgages do you have? A hundred. Uh, 100. Do some quick math in your head. Let's say Jimmy's average mortgage is $100,000. What is 100 times $100,000? That's how much money banks have given to Jimmy to, to run this process. Okay. It's unlimited. That's what people don't understand that that's how we access it. You don't have to have a bunch of money in savings. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to own corporations. You don't have to inherited money. You just need those three things. Well, it I kind of works. I might give away the secret, Brad, but it kind of works right. the opposite way. You have a source of income, you get all this debt, and then voila, you become rich. <laughs> Bingo, right? Okay. Now, I want, lastly, I, I want to break this apart where we're still stuck that this debt is a four-letter word, right? Both literally and 
figuratively, okay? But understand, we all know that our money, our dollars are turning into pennies, right? Just like what's happening here. We know that's happening on the savings side. But has anybody stopped to consider that the exact same thing is happening to money that you're borrowing today? If I have $100,000 in the bank, we know that it'll be worth pennies in the future. But rarely does somebody stop and think and say, well, if I borrow $100,000 today, that $100,000 is also going to turn into pennies. Meaning what I have to use to repay it will also be inflated away. So guys, pull out your resources again. I'm going to walk through it here because I can draw on it and I don't want my Zoom to freak out on me again. But this, if you go in, this is a $120,000 mortgage. I just kind of grabbed a number, okay? Your nominal payment, remember, that's the number, like the number of dollars that have to come out of your bank account starts at $572. That might be a lot of money today for you. I, I don't know, like $500. We know what that feels like today. And that's, this is, uh, the graph is a little different from my numbers here, but it starts way up here. But just like the purchasing power of our dollars go down, the real impact of this mortgage goes down such that 10 years from now, it will only feel like $350, meaning only about 60% of what it feels like today. 20 years from now, it'll only feel like $215. And 30 years from now, the last payment we make on that mortgage is only gonna feel like $132. Why? Well, because my income, my assets, everything inflates, right? But what happens to my mortgage payment? It stays the exact same all the time. So 30 years from now, it's only feels like 20% of what it started out at. But on the other side, the rent, my rent, let's say it started out at $900. My rent 30 years from now is $3,800. It's increased by 400%. Guys, and you can play around with the calculator. You can change the, the mortgage amounts to kind of reflect maybe your home mortgage or a mortgage you have on an investment property. And you can also change the inflation assumption and it will show you how much it decreases over time. So this is, this is going from checkers to chess. Checkers is don't hold on to cash because it will, it will be worth nothing. Chess is I want to get as many dollars while they have value now, and I'll pay them back with pennies in the future. Do you guys understand? Like this is insanely powerful to shift our mind from bad debt to good debt. And this is what Buffett was talking about that nobody understood. Cool. Give me some, what are the comments saying? Is anybody following along? Yeah. So Kelly wants to know what if you buy a house in the current environment and it cash flows, but then the market stabilizes and renters aren't willing to pay as much rent. Oh man. Okay. There is a link in your spreadsheet because I could read your mind. Okay. <laughs> There's a link in a spreadsheet that shows a graph. I didn't have time to grab it and throw it in my slides, but it shows a graph of, I'm, I'm not going to risk changing my screen. It shows a graph of rent increases from since 1940. From 1940 to now, there have only been two years. So that's out of 80 years, there's been two where rents went down. 
and never did they go down by more than 5%. Uh, there might've been one year where it went down 10, but never did it go down by, by more than about 5%. So two years out of 80, yes, that's happened. Um, but of all of the other years, rents are something that we call they're sticky. They stay where they are, similar to wages, like wages rarely nominally go down, okay? They're sticky, okay? Rents are sticky. People just pay it and get used to it, okay? So no, that's not a concern in the model that we're looking for. Well, and then it could happen. Let's say it happens two years out of the next 30, who cares? Yep, it's never been sustained enough yes. to, to put us in a bad, in a bad spot. And at okay. worst case scenario, it'll just keep par with inflation, just like you said, just like wages. Because what Kelly's happens if wages don't keep up with inflation? Then there's no labor. Yep. And Kelly, the second half of your question, hang tight on that one. We're going to deal with that here in just a moment. Yeah, we're going to get there. The okay. Now, I can, I've already seen a couple people make a comment. So I'm going to detour for a second before I wrap this up. But what about Bitcoin? Bitcoin's going to save the world. What about gold? Gold is where it's at. Okay. Hey, now you got to be careful, Brad. We got, we got some gold. I'm going to hurt here. some people's feelings because guys, here's another time. Math is not going to care about what you believe Bitcoin is going to do for you. Okay. So I'm going to tell you that gold and Bitcoin, even modern Bitcoin in the last little while is not beating inflation, right? Bitcoin beats inflation. No, what's going on? It doesn't. Okay. Now caveat, I love gold. I have a lot of it and I, and I still teach people how it needs to fit into what they're doing. Same with Bitcoin. I'm actually got a stack of books on Bitcoin. I'm gonna start reading a lot more about it. Like I understand there are real values to it. But if we want to thrive, guys, do not become Gollum, okay? And do not become overly obsessed with hedges, okay? And I'm gonna explain what a hedge is. This. Just like Gollum, your life will go nowhere if you just think that gold or Bitcoin is your precious and it's going to save you, okay? And here's why. A hedge, if it works as designed, the best case scenario is it keeps you exactly where you are, okay? And here's how it works. Back to the 1920s that Ryan was talking about. One ounce of gold, and I have it here on my wall, Once one ounce of gold was $20. And those were interchangeable. I could go to a store and I could spend 20 bucks in, in a dollar bill, or I could drop a gold coin on the counter. And people did both, okay? And back then in 1920, that one ounce of gold was equal to the $1. It would buy you a suit, a shirt, a tie, a belt, socks, and shoes. You could get fully dressed for about 20 bucks, okay? Back then, okay? Now today, Let's say that I kept the gold coin, because remember in 1920, they were the same thing. If I kept the gold coin, last time I looked up gold, I, this changes all the time, it was worth about $1,700. But Jimmy, did I make any money if my gold is now worth $1,700? No, you just lost buying power. Well, remember, money is not a word people understand what it means. So, so Jimmy went to buying power. Nominally, yeah, I made a lot of money, right? I made $1,733. Nominally, I made money, but do we care? No, Jimmy, we just care about purchasing power, right? Nominal, nominal worth, it's like Instagram likes. They're cool, makes you feel good, but not really worth anything. Yes, very good analogy. Because if I took that $1,700 and went to the mall, to, I could basically buy 
a suit, a shirt, a, a tie, belt, shoes, and socks. For about 1700 bucks, I could get decked out. Yeah? Yes. So what, am I any richer? No. I can still just get dressed, okay? But if I made the mistake of thinking that the dollar was the money, and this is what people are afraid of, I can't even pay for the alterations on the suit with my $20 bill, okay? But best case, it's like playing prevent defense. We're just trying not to lose, okay? And that's not where we wanna be. Now, put a pin in that, hang tight. I'm gonna come back with that knowledge. We're now gonna bring these two worlds together, okay? Because if I want good debt, which is debt that is other people's money to buy assets today that other people will pay off for me. There's only three assets that are that do that. Rental property, businesses, and life insurance. If you go to a bank, they, for the last 200 years, have always lent on those three things. But those are the only three things that they've lent on for that period of time, okay? And I'm actually gonna skip a lot of this. These are the requirements. You have in your resources, these slides. So I actually rather you go read them because it goes through and says, what is required for an asset? And as you look at that, think about whether gold or Bitcoin checks the box, okay? Because it doesn't. So assets and leverage requirements. But the thing I want you to understand is when we set it up this way and we borrow against assets, we either win or we win big. I like those odds. Who's like cool with those odds, right? Because either inflation doesn't continue and someone else pays for my investment. Cool, I win. Or inflation is 8% and I win big, okay? Because we wanna think about these as one-way bets like Warren Buffett said. And I think about it like a sailboat. Each time I take out a mortgage and buy an asset, that someone else is going to pay off my debt, it's like putting a sail up in the wind. And the more sales I have, the more benefit this is the way that I end up winning, okay? So let's do a little math and let's see whether Bitcoin can keep up, okay? So the way the math works, so I took a screenshot of it, it's the this versus that, okay? Will Bitcoin or gold or whatever you think is going to be better than a mortgage with a cash flowing asset, okay? This, and we're gonna prove this rate of return out here in just a little bit, but I believe this was at 5% inflation again. The effective return of my real estate backed by a mortgage is 41%. So if I wanna keep up and improve my wealth position at the same rate that we're teaching you to do, if Bitcoin is at $43,000 today, in 10 years, at 41% every single year, well, guess what? Bitcoin needs to go to 1.3 million per coin so guys, in 10 uh, years. Brad, hold on one minute, because I just want to make sure everyone is understanding what you just said. You okay. just made the, the statement that real estate as a cash flowing asset backed by a 30-year mortgage is giving you an annual return of about 40%. And we're going to back that up on the turnkey conversation. I'm going to show you how that works, but yes. When, we're, when someone else is paying for it and we have inflation in our sales at 5%, for another asset to do everything that real estate does for us, we would, we would have to earn 41% per year. 41% per year. Guys, okay? let that sink in for just a minute. Okay. So 43, oh, 
Fong asked an awesome question. Can I beat it with life insurance? No, but I can make it even better with life insurance. It's like adding a turbocharger to an engine. Okay. So it's not, that's the wrong question. The right question is, does it make it better? And we're going to get to that too. So $43,000 per coin. If I want to hold that for 20 years, it only has to be worth $44 million a coin. If you think it will, awesome, right? If I want, if I've got a 30 year horizon, each coin has to be worth $1.4 billion. This is why I'm not on the Bitcoin bandwagon. Okay. I like Bitcoin for lots of security and hedge reasons, but it will not make me wealthy. It will protect the wealth that I have. Now I can already see people's eyes. Nope. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Not true. Not true. Right guys. Here's a way that we can think about it in, in the way the actual world works. Okay. Think about trees. If you were going to make an investment in trees, which seems weird, but people do it. Would you rather buy a pine forest or an apple orchard? Okay. Think about a pine forest. Okay. It has to grow for how many hundreds of years to have enough timber to then go harvest. And then once it's harvested, what happens the next year? We only have little tiny seedlings, right? And we have to wait 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years before we have another harvest. That if you're waiting for a hedge to make you rich, it's like waiting for a pine forest to grow and no tree grows to the sky ever, right? But an apple orchard, once my trees grow, I get a harvest every single year, okay? That's why Bitcoin cannot keep up because it cannot grow enough and harvest it and go do something with it every single year. You're trying to bet that it will grow to the sky versus creating something that produces, okay? This slide is just for my friend, Jimmy, okay? Jimmy likes jujitsu. Jimmy wants to win multiple ways. Bitcoin, we win one way. Gold, we win one way, okay? Real estate, we're winning multiple ways, okay? And then just to answer the question of will this always work, it will only work if the government keeps printing money and people still want to live in houses. Oh, that's it. Only if that still happens, okay? And if what that do we doesn't know? Happen, the government, what's the government's favorite option to solve a problem? Print money. And more money. Okay. I'm pretty sure people want to live somewhere. That's what I thought, right? So pretty good track record. Okay, let's frame it up this way one last time. Survivors, okay? If you just want to survive inflation, they use debt to buy liabilities that they think are assets. Then they use their cash. They save up cash and they buy assets that they hope will keep up with inflation, okay? And then their income is their constraint to saving and making payments. That's a lonely world. That's a survivor world. That's a man on an island world. Thrivers use debt to buy assets today before they go up in price. Then they insist that their assets cash flow, okay? Then their income only has to fund down payments at a five to one ratio and keep themselves in reserves while using other people's income to make the payment. So I save up 
fractions of the assets that I have to acquire. I keep myself liquid enough to stay afloat and I let the debt or the, the in, I let inflation and other people pay it off, okay? If you're a thriver, this is what your world will look like when the winds of inflation pick up, okay? You're this one little teeny tiny boat on the lake and that's survivor. gonna come around and smack you in the head. That's a survivor. A survivor. A thriver needs to look like this. This is what Jimmy's looks like. This is what Ryan looks like. This is what I look like. I have a bunch of sailboats ready to go. But when that inflation wind picks up, I'm, we are dominating, right? We are actually thriving. We're out ahead of it. All right, all right. Well, man, I tell you what, uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation because if you took what we talked about in this podcast episode seriously, if you give yourself the permission to question your beliefs and adopt a new set of beliefs, I promise you, you are going to see the world completely different. And with this new vision, with this new paradigm, the world of possibility opens up to you. Today was the core of what it's going to, what, what's going to be required for you if you want to thrive in the age of inflation. So my friends, go back and re-listen to this. And my invitation for you is do something about it. Don't just sit on the sidelines. Do something about it right now. In order to get the fruits of the actions that you take, you must plant the roots. They have to start right now. So my friends, take action and join me on the next podcast where we're going to be going into the topic of conversation deeper down this rabbit hole of how to thrive in the age of inflation.